This is Everyday Driver, where we know cars are expensive, but necessary, and have to do a world of things. But we also believe they should be fun. Whatever you need and can afford, we're here to help you find the right car. We're your car friends, your car therapist, and sometimes the bad influence you need. I'm Todd. I'm Paul. And this is The Car Debate. Hello, everybody. Happy Friday. As you can instantly tell, we are not in the studio. We are in San Diego because we have been in Southern California all week shooting many, many things. Toyota invited us out to drive the Corolla Cross Hybrid mm-hmm. and the Prius Prime. So yes. as of this recording, we cannot talk about anything because of the embargoes. They have not lifted yet, but we are doing test drive videos on both, and those will land on our test drive videos channel, and you can see our opinions of those. Well, and while we were out here, we decided, this is why we've been in the, in, here all week, we decided we would also get in the standard Prius, so we have some videos on that coming, and a piece we wanted to do a year ago on the WRX, the, the updated WRX, which we didn't drive last year when it yeah, came Yeah, right. Versus right. the Elantra N. So a lot of stuff got shot this week, a lot of stuff coming your way, including next Thursday we have a really cool hatches episode coming up. That's the one you've already seen mentioned with the GR Corolla, the Civic Type R, and the Golf R. So that's about a week away. But there's a very special episode of Everyday Driver. I just love saying it like that. <laughs> I know. Coming up this Saturday. So we don't typically have releases on Saturday on our main channel, but there is something coming on our main channel on Saturday. So look for that and then test drives next week as well. Space is still available on our Colorado adventure for yep. 2023. So if you're interested, you've been thinking about it, please go to everydaydriver.com. And under our adventures tab, you can find all the details. And it is designed to be spouse friendly. Hmm. So come along for the ride with us. Also, there's some news from Lamborghini. Rarely is there news from Lamborghini. Well, certainly not news like this. I mean, they have rarely updated their fleet-topping, lineup-topping V12 car. There haven't been very many of those, starting with the Countach. True. So that has happened again. Good news, everyone. They have announced the Revuelto. I could be mispronouncing that. (laughs) I just might be. Nevertheless, this is the Aventador replacement. It is a hybrid with 1,001 horsepower, named after a Spanish fighting bull, but it also means scrambled eggs in Spanish, or scrambled. (laughs) This is, as Stefan Winkelmann has said, the blending of two souls in one car. Okay. Do you suppose they've been talking to the people who came up with the Stellantis naming convention? Possibly. I also think this is... The worst Lamborghini new generation. Because if you look at their big V12 range-topping hypercars, okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Each one was a pretty radical departure from the design of the one before. And this kind of looks like an Aventador in a body kit. Aventador in a body kit. Good news, everyone. You have heard of PHEV, but this is an HPEV, a high-performance electric vehicle. Okay. With the 6.5-liter naturally aspirated V12, three electric motors, and a lithium-ion battery pack, all connected to an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission. And Lamborghini, good news, is offering 400 colors with many more personalization options, <laughs> just so you can create an individual sports car, and with 13 different drive modes, it includes track mode, but I highly recommend not tracking this, because it's probably going to blow up. Yeah, unfortunately, we haven't seen great, pardon the pun, track records with these cars being tracked. They're, they're really fun to look at. They're amazing at Cars and Coffee. Fun to look at. They're Sounds at, great. They're at the, they're, they sit in the Cars and Coffee. Don't and track engines, it. But we haven't seen good experience with them being tracked. We'll see what this one's like. I'm looking forward to the YouTube model. 
surely they should come out with a uh, you know a red and white or red and silver color scheme for okay. YouTubers around the globe to buy one and have rev battles in front of Harrods and London. There will be there will there'll be do. with four hundred colors. Can't we just say tell us what color you want? I mean, at four hundred colors, four hundred colors. Remember the box of two hundred and fifty six crayons. I mean, that's more than this. That's okay. yeah, a lot so, more, yeah. So as a result, I mean, just just say whatever color you would like, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's really what we're talking about. And that, and somebody's still going to have one chromed, and it's just going to be madness Ooh. because this is what happens. You like everything better in chrome. I uh, yeah, for sure. And lastly, Blipshift is still offering the shirt called Not Fast But Furious featuring the N.A. Miata. So if you haven't gotten one of those yet, go to Blipshift.com. And you can find our partner store under shop. It is the partner stores. Find Everyday Driver on there. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. It's a new year, and we want to talk to you guys about a lot of new products from our friends at Griot's Garage. I'm going to start with the 3-in-1 Wheel, Tire, and Mat Cleaner. Did you hear it? It cleans wheels, tires, and mats with one thing. It's a non-acidic formula that cuts brake dust, road grime on wheels, tires, and rubber floor mats. They have a cool picture of you using a brush to clean all of the above. That is awesome. Water spot remover. Guess what that does? That removes water spots on all exterior surfaces. Don't forget ceramic metal polish, which restores and brightens and protects common metal surfaces and leaves a finish like you've never seen before. And then there's the Citrus All-Purpose Cleaner, a concentrated, powerful, non-filming cleaner for both exteriors and interiors. Griot's Garage products are 100% guaranteed, and all liquid products are made in the USA. When you're ordering at griotsgarage.com, use the code EDRIVER for 15% off liquids and 10% off everything else on your order. That's Griot's, G-R-I-O-T-S. Enjoy the finest quality car care products you can buy at griotsgarage.com. Ethan's writing in with our first car debate, and he is considering Russian roulette. Now, let me clarify, not like in life, but like the complete <laughs> random, Yikes. let's just pick a car. So he doesn't really know where he wants to go. But that's funny, because that title tells me that the world is wide open. And then I read Ethan's email, and I find that the world is kind of small. Well, Ethan is a retired soccer player. He wants to move on from his 2016 Mark 7 GTI, but he doesn't know what is the best move. He likes cars that are slightly different. His Unrealistic, right now, but attainable dream garage is an E46 M3 and a Subaru Baja. Okay, like it. He likes cars that are utilitarian, yet quirky, with distinct styling elements. For example, his dad has an element. He learned how to drive a manual for the first time in an 07 Subaru Legacy Spec B. Cool. And only a few expensive, over $50,000 cars really interest him as an option to own in the future. He does not care for supercars at all, so clearly mm, he will not be interested in buying a Revuelto. He will Rev- not be in the Revuelto. new Lamborghini V12. We feel confident about yeah, that. Yeah, I'm mispronouncing that, I'm sure. He doesn't know whether to go to an old or new, super lightweight or just average weight, bigger engine or more reliable four-cylinder. <laughs> he just doesn't know. It's clear, yeah. And this is where the Russian roulette comes in. He says he's played soccer his entire life, competitively in college and then having a brief career after college. Cool. But injury forced him to retire at this point, and he likes to tinker with things. He likes problem-solving small issues. 
And even though he doesn't call himself a decent mechanic who can fix major components, he does have a family friend who okay. is a BMW specialist and owns his own independent shop. Got it. He would heavily rely on him for anything engine-related or BMW engine-related. I think, yeah, BMW, that's the thing, is that this starts with this kind of, I've opened anything, and then goes, skews awfully BMW. I mean, again, he has this 2016 Volkswagen GTI that he loves. It's his first manual car. It's been incredibly fun. But now he's looking predominantly at BMWs, and I find this fascinating because every car person, you have your different thing that got you into cars. Yeah, isn't it crazy? And in the last, I'm going to say, 20, 25 years, one of the real influencers isn't, well, I saw this car when I was a kid, or whatever. It's, I played this car in a video game. Yeah. And that's the case here. He played, and you're all picturing the cover of this game right now because I had it too. He's picturing the E46 M3 GTR. Remember that skidding sideways on the cover of the Need for Speed video game? Yes. It was the hero car. He loved that car in the game. So that has just burrowed into his brain. He would kind of like to have one of those, and that seems to influence everything else we talk about. Ethan's always liked cars, but soccer was always his obsession at the time for Need for Speed. Yeah. So he loves the satisfaction of rowing gears, being in control, being in Washington, D.C., He's got a family cabin in the woods in the Catskills that he and his longtime girlfriend like to go to every month or so. Makes for great hilly roads, lots of fun turns, he says. And his girlfriend's father used to be a rally car driver competing in a Mark II GTI. Unfortunately, he passed a few years ago. Uh, My condolences to you guys. And they are both fans of motorsports and enjoy the feeling of driving fun cars. They're not simply appliance to, appliances to them. That's great. His girlfriend is capable of driving his manual around the block, but that's it. So she's still learning. They go for lessons now and then. Love that. That's right. great. And he says the GTI has been a great ownership experience, but he sees himself getting another one in the future for her to drive. Hmm. He wants something rear-wheel drive now. So he's after this car with a great driver's experience. That GTI had all the speed, so he's not after more power necessarily. But he's wondering about other BMWs. Mm-hmm. He's mentioning older M- M54 engines in the 330. He's worried about those engines. But if he purchased an E46-330i, he'll think about the faster BMW he could have bought. <laughs> well, but lingering beyond that is that big E46 M3 that he really wants, that he's even further up the food chain. And then he heard us talking about recently the 128i and the 130. 130- 35i, which are like the little M3 of their era, and he was going, wait a minute, that's a little more modern, should I get those? But it's not like the styling of those as much, and again, those weren't on the cover of Need for Speed. So he's sitting there wondering which one of those might be viable. The problem with getting an older, low-power BMW is I do think you'd keep wishing you got the better one. I think that is a lingering problem, but onward. Anything over twenty-five grand right now, Ethan would think to himself, I should just go get a GR86. Probably. (laughs) <laughs> Anything costing more than 40000 right now, he would think to himself he should just go get a used Porsche or maybe an M2. Mm-hmm. The 911, he says, is the life goal car. If and when he makes enough money to realistically afford it sometime, that's the car he will get. But until then, the cars he loves are the E46 and the GR86. So, uh, wait, I have a question. And, and, I, and I'm posing this to Ethan, and I'm also posing this to the larger larger audience here. We get quite a few emails that have that 911 paragraph in them. Yeah. That we do. just say, here's all the stuff I'm considering. The car I really dream about is the 911. But I feel like nine times out of ten, when we get that email, the person has never driven one. 
Fair, fair point. And I find it fascinating how the 9-11 has cemented itself in that place that we're all supposedly on a pyramid that leads to the 9-11. <laughs> okay? The, the, there's, yeah. There are a lot, there's a, I know you are. The pyramid there, that there, leads to the 9-11. There's a lot of them out there. But at the same time, for 9-11 money, you can get a lot of cool cars. I'm just amazed. Here's Ethan, who hasn't driven one. But he's putting a stake in the ground and going, well, the 911 is the obvious dream. And when I can get my afford, I'll just get one and be happy. And I'm sitting here going, do you know that? Yeah. Will you get a 911 yeah, a and that point. be the end? I, mm, I, I want to I separate the 911 from this impression we have. And I've been saying this to all of us. From this impression that we have that it's the end-all, be-all. It's very cool. And it comes in a myriad of flavors. And almost as many colors as Lamborghini is now offering. But there are, there are other <laughs> options out there, folks. But anyway, back to Ethan's deal. Yeah, I mean, have you heard of Boxers and Caymans? Yes, Same for sure. company. Yep. Similar engine. Ethan asks if he saves money for a while and then gets into a higher mileage E46 M3 and then has that as his forever car, he'll be set. <laughs> See, again, mm, I don't forever know. Forever car. Or does he go from middle ground and get like a 128i or 135i with a faster straight six, more modern elements? He says, while he would love the M3, his life is suited for a non-M car. Sure, yeah. He doesn't care about the pedigree and clout that comes with buying the brand's top-of-the-line sports car. It's the same reason if he wanted a modern BMW, he'd probably get an M240 over the M2 if he's being I realistic. See I see it. And he likes the 1 Series, but he's worried he'll view it as a car that he's settled for, despite it being a really good option. Strikes a balance between the new GR86 and an old E46. Mm-hmm. That GR86 is the gold standard to him. That's interesting. Okay. It's what he thinks he really wants, but he just doesn't know if he's financially ready to buy a new $30,000 plus car. Now, here he adds an interesting twist because we don't normally talk about the financial sides of the car buying. But he says, I could finance part of it. And build credit, because he said his credit's not good. He could have his, co- his parents co-sign to help him get into the car and build credit because he couldn't pay cash for a GR86. So now he's asking a secondary question beyond just, can I get a GR86? And just going, would this make sense as a way to build credit? That's interesting, too. He says a few years down the road, a scenario that is both realistic and ideal would just be you know, to wait, save up more money, get a GR86 manual and then save to add another GTI for his girlfriend, and this time in DCT so his future MOF can drive. Those two cars would make a great garage for his lifestyle, but the question is, does he go with the more responsible, more conservative purchase of the classic E46 330 and run it into the ground, turn it into dust, and keep it around forever as his classic project car? Or does he build credit and get into the GR86 after saving a few more months? I'm interested. I'm fascinated by this. He is six foot two, would prefer to have folding down back seats so he can travel with his girlfriend and a cat. So the Miata isn't necessarily the answer to this specific question. Very interesting. Ethan, here's the first thing I want to say. You keep looking at this E46 era BMW. It is your iconic car. And I think that's great. And they're very cool. And that is kind of the definitive M3 generation. People think M3, that's pretty much the one they think of first. Mm-hmm. You're talking about the 330CI, which is you know down from the M3, still has that look. I get where you're going, but I want to I caution you here because you list that as the more conservative choice. I don't think that's the case. I don't think buying that car in, e, in 330CI or an M3 is a conservative or <laughs> responsible choice. That is a 20-year-old BMW product. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, look, we know people, our friend Zach Clapman has it, an, e, an M3 that he loves. We've known other people that have them, and they are really cool. That generation of car is very good, but you will be spending money keeping it running. Agreed. Not like, oh, maybe. No, you will be. Okay? Yeah. I feel very confident. And so I'm concerned about the fact that it may seem like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be conservative and not spend as much money. I think maybe only initially. I think the stuff that whatever the one you find needs, it's going to feel irresponsible quickly. I could be wrong. Mm. You could find the world's most pristine mm. one, and it just runs, and you have a BMW indie shop friend who I'm sure could keep things running very cheaply. But I don't look at that as a conservative choice. I actually think, this may sound weird, I think that the new car purchase is the smarter adult choice. Because okay. You do have the ability to build your credit, which you said you don't have credit really right now. So yes, build your credit with help from family. Get into a car that has a warranty that does everything you need. And the GR86 is quickly rising to the top. Now, I'm not mentioning the GR86 at this point because we love it, because we do. Okay, We miss ours. But I think what you're doing there with kind of the, okay, you're trying to make an adult purchase and have it benefit you long term. I don't think the old BMW is the adult choice. I think it's the newer car. Thankfully, you're looking at a GR86, which happens to be a great car. Yeah. Manual, yeah. fold down rear seat, does everything you want. And I think the thing you said earlier that it was fascinating is you said if you're going to spend more than $25,000, you will always think, shouldn't I have got just got a GR86? And my answer to that is, well, yeah. That's kind of funny cuz you're the one spending the money. Oh, really? Okay. This, uh, this episode. I love all the BMW choices. I think there was a typo in your email. I read it as M54, but we were talking about the N54 engine mm-hmm. because I think you should consider the 2011 BMW 335iS. It did have the N54 engine, which I know you're concerned car. about. It's, it's got overboost, but we love that thing. Yeah, it's excellent. And they're, and they're surprisingly affordable now. And that is the same era as the one series you're talking about. But I think it is the much better looking car. Ethan, the only reason I suggest that for you is because you have a BMW friend who owns a shop. Sure. sure. Few people have that in their hip pocket. Yeah, yeah. But you do. And you'd probably be able to get a good deal. I mean, you'd have to pay for the work, of course, Mm -hmm. but maybe he could teach you some things and you could work in the shop on weekends or nights and do some things yourself to keep a car like that running because it is the initial cheaper choice. And I, I, you don't have good credit. And I think working on that is important. I'm wondering about your parents co-signing as you suggested here. I'd love it if there was a way for them to not co-sign and you take this on yourself. Sure, sure. But he's going to get a ridiculously awful interest rate. If he That's the problem. Credit. That is the downside. That's the yeah. problem. So what can you sell that GTI for? Can you put money towards mm-hmm. a higher mileage, 335 IS? Yeah, it's going to take upkeep. Probably not as much as that E46 M3, it's though. It's significantly newer, yeah. And it does have that N54 engine, as I said. But I think that could be a consideration to feed your BMW love. Now, really, I love your GR86 suggestion, and that is the play, but how about a GT86? I wondered that. How about we spend less? Yeah, I wondered that. You get less, but it's still the bones of Mm -hmm. the GR86. It's the first iteration. Still give you some of the feel in there. It doesn't have the power that I love. But what if you got the GT86 and spent less? Yeah. Reliable as heck. You're good to go. Those are the two cars I want you to consider. That's if you don't go the BMW route. Because 
as much as I love all the BMWs, I'd love a 1M for you. But a mm-hmm. 1M is the forever car. Yeah. That's not an one, E46 yeah. M3. Not a 330Ci. Yeah. None of those. And, like, I'm really leaning towards that GT86 for you if, if you don't want to do the older BMW thing. Well, Ethan, I want to give you a couple other options just because I feel like you need some drive homework. I don't get the sense that you've driven a lot of the stuff that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Mm-hmm. You need to go, I don't know that they're right for you, but you need to go drive both a Mustang and a Camaro. Sure, because they sure. Because every box you're talking about, but you haven't brought them up at all. I feel like they're kind of glaringly obvious here as something to drive. Sure. They obviously do not drive like the GR86. They are bigger and heavier, but they drive very, very well. And you're looking for some usability and a new experience. It is much more down the road to those ideas. You get a, a V8, one of those in manual transmission is going to feel a long way from your GTI. Yeah, and yeah. it's not going to feel like any BMW you've ever driven either. So I think you at least need to drive the Mustang and Camaro. I think it's great that you mentioned the first Gen 86 because I have it on my list as well because I thought it was interesting that did you realize that the E46 330 Ci he mentioned? I looked it up. That car weighs about 3,100 pounds. Okay. Okay. Has 228 horsepower, 221 pound-feet of torque. So more torque than the 86. Yeah. But the 0 to 60 was 6.5. The first Gen 86 was like 6, 8, or 7. Really? So you're actually talking, even though the first Gen 86, we always kind of downplay it as kind of a wah-wah in speed, you're talking about an old enough BMW and not the M3 that they're somewhat comparable. Now, I, I will admit that this straight six in the BMW is going to be more interesting. Full stop. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. as far as the power it can give you, a first Gen 86 is actually fairly close to the power and performance you're looking for out of that old BMW. How funny. And then I have a wild card for you. I think it's so wild that you really shouldn't do it. But if you want classic 2 plus 2 and you don't want to go BMW, then you're talking Porsche 944. Oh, my gosh. But, but... you got to pay cash for one of those things. You and, cannot finance... And there will be money pits to follow. Yeah. So that's the problem, yeah. And your BMW shop friend will roll your eyes at you oh, yeah, because he's, no, you no, no. bought yeah, the yeah. 944 yeah. instead of some BMWs. Like, you know I work on BMWs, right? <laughs> Why didn't you buy a BMW and bring it to me? Brad Al is in Georgia and writes that he is screaming for help. Just kidding. <laughs> we have Russian roulette and screaming <laughs> for help. This is a scary podcast. Okay, good. Well, Brad, thank you for writing to us. He is a fan of the platforms, as is his MOF. His MOF will sit and watch our content because she loves us. Really appreciate it. That's very cool. Hello to your whole family. Brad is looking for something to use in a daily sense that is also a fun drive wherever. Like it. He has a 1966 Mustang convertible V8 four-speed and a 1999 Grand Cherokee 4.7 Limited. Okay. The Mustang was a replacement of his first car that was actually a 66 Coupe. He thought he would drive it every day, but now that it gets closer and closer to being really nice, <laughs> the only thing missing is a paint job, he thinks that it'll just be a fair weather fun car. So what's happened is you have a project car that is reminiscent of your first car, and you're making it nice <clears throat> enough to make it precious. That's funny. You're restoring it to the place where you're like, well, now I really shouldn't drive it that much. Modding to the that's, point where I'm never going to drive it. Kind of, that's kind of disappointing, but I see, I see how you got there for sure. And Brad writes the Jeep has to stay because it's the Home Depot pull-apart vehicle, and he loves it. 
His MOF has a 2015 X5. He cannot pry from her. She likes it. Got it. Okay. A, his older daughter has got an O2 330Ci convertible. Oh, wait. We just heard about one of we those. We did. There we go. Younger daughter drives a 2013 Jeep Wrangler JKU. So with these at the house, a couple of Jeeps, he can imagine he, he works on the older ones. He's yeah. pretty competent in the garage, and he enjoys it. It's cathartic. So the budget for this new vehicle is twenty to $25,000, and he's not a huge fan of brand new because he likes to buy low, fix it up, and sell high, mm. and feel like he won in a big way. For sure, yeah, yeah. Just like our road trip cars. Well, see, I didn't, I didn't actually win there. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that either one of us won. We didn't yeah. win anything. <laughs> we came away with some great memories and a couple of... Well, four great road trip films. And cars we but, love, uh, but I don't know that we're making money on that equation. A couple yeah. of cars were not mm-hmm. the winning cars. So he's thinking manual rear-wheel drive, North Georgia Mountain Roads fun car. He also putts around town, so something with decent gas mileage. Although I think if we find the right car, you won't care about that at all. I think that'll all. be irrelevant, yeah. And plus, everything in his slate, nothing in his slate is fuel efficient. So no. So like gas no. mileage is irrelevant here, yeah. He says drop-top two-seater is good, but four is not out of the question. He knows I will start with a Boxster here. What do you, hmm. Am I that much of a foregone conclusion? We can be, yes. He says that's too easy. He's not wanting to deal with the IMS issue. Even though he's got the tools in the space, and he likes the sports car shootout that we did, and also being a BMW guy, he liked the Z4 and Z3, but that also seems too easy. He doesn't want the obvious choice is what I'm hearing. That's unique. Okay. He has thoroughly confused himself with all the good options he values unbiased, unemotional inputs, so you've written to the wrong podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we cannot do this without emotion. This is true. Yes. Okay. And he wants to add a car in a month. Well, I like that you've got the time, the space, and the tools because I just thought, find all those awful modded cars you possibly can, unmod them, and flip them for profit. <laughs> Take them back to stock and sell them. For Who You're doesn't right. love a perfectly stock Mitsubishi right. Evo 10? You're right. And everybody trying to sell their hyper-modded one won't get market value for it because they modified it. Exactly. You can scoop That's it up very cheap. Be funny. like, I'll, I'll pay you cash right now. I'll give you That's 12 grand for that thing. And be like, nah, okay. <laughs> so that's the starting place, but I do love your BMW Z3 option because the person who bought the Z3 when we used it for our cheap sports car challenge, yep, yep. he still has it. He sold other cars and has not replaced them and drives that Z3 all the time. This is the one with the broken odometer, you remember, and the yeah. terrible seats. It was $4,800. It was under five grand, and he looked into replacement engines, and he's like, nah, they're 1200 bucks." So if the engine goes, I don't really care. Yeah. He's replaced the suspension. He's turned it into an autocross beast, and he still drives it to work. And it's his happy place. He never expected. He, he bought the thing on kind of a lark. He was like, look, yeah. I'll, I'll get this car. You guys can use it for the shoot. I'll, I'll just enjoy <laughs> something funny for a bit. And then it became the car. He's like, why would I have anything else? I, I mean, I do have to ask that question, Brad. And I, I don't really know what the answer is here. But what's wrong with the usual suspects? I mean, legitimately. True. The Boxster, I mean, the Z3, the Z4. What's wrong with those? <laughs> I understand they're more common choices, and I went other places, but there really isn't anything wrong with them. I'm also going to mention one that I don't think you is in your budget, but that is really when anybody says four seat convertible anymore, I go to one car. Hmm. 
current BMW 4 Series convertible. Yeah, the 430. Because it is a true four-seat convertible. We were incredibly impressed with the actual yeah. space while still being a great dynamic car. And that was the 430, which was the, which was the little engine. But that is the current model, and that is out of your budget, I feel confident. That thing's uh, a champion. Yeah, the prior 2 Series convertible actually is a surprisingly good space as well. But the 2 Series is not the model, I mean, pardon me, not the convertible I would typically gravitate toward, at least uh, that model in convertible form. So those are interesting since you're a BMW guy, but I have other thoughts as well. I started with the low, medium, and high kind of thinking. So BMW Z3 is at the low end. They're still inexpensive relative to your budget and Mm -hmm. still relative to today's market, the way things are changing. That's the low version. The medium version is a Nissan 300ZX. Hmm. Buy one that might have nasty mods and stupid wheels and put it back to stock. Get it for less. Get the higher mileage ones that aren't the crazy bring-a-trailer prices. Sure. Put it back to perfection. Make it run. Change the oil. Okay, it needs a belt. It needs some service. Fine. Put that in. And then flip that thing. Drive it while you can. Drive it for a little bit. And then I bet you you'll make money on it. Something that is great looking. Maybe a panel or two needs to be painted. Hmm. The light restom, uh, not restomod, the light restoration. Sure, yeah, yeah. Just it needs a few things to bring it back, but nobody's willing to do those things like you would on the Maserati or the Phaeton. <laughs> things that needed to be done, but they're just nobody was really willing to do it. You could probably afford to do it, like yeah. suspension on your Phaeton. Sure, yeah, yeah. You probably afford, you know, a few thousand dollars. Like ah, I really don't it like hurts, that, so yeah. I'll just sell the car and move on. Yeah. That's what happened to all those great cars. Mm-hmm. So if you do those things and sort of turn that car's life the other direction, turn it back, do those little things, spend the money, and then I'll bet you you'll make a few thousand dollars and have the experience along with it. Are you thinking the convertible version or not? doesn't really matter okay. at this point. I mean, you'd have to kind of look into, of those, what are selling. I don't know that the convertible version is the, the sought-after version. That's the one that turns, but I actually but had the convertible on my list because did you really? it came in non-turbo. But and but you're saying you just want a car to enjoy with the top down, just driving around your local area. Yeah, that is a solid chassis. I mean, that is still the area where the the convertibles are are well. Let's put this another way. That's nice. Uh, they're wigglier than the than the coupes. They are wigglier. They are. So there is that. I mean, granted, if you yeah. get a non non convertible, even if you get the non turbo, it has the T top, so you can still have the open air experience, which is cool. But the convertibles are kind of the unloved car of that car, and you can get them for surprisingly cheap. I don't think it's a car you're going to flip and make money on, but at the same time, they're out there. The non-turbos are pretty reliable. I mean, here I am with a twin turbo now. The problem with twin turbo is heat issues, and then if stuff starts to go wrong and turbos and that kind of stuff, it can be (laughs) quite expensive, and they are very difficult to work on, especially in turbo form because they have no space. But I'm talking non-turbo, convertible. You could probably find a deal, and what's interesting about them is even though they're not the one that people are selling them bring a trailer for a bunch of money, they are still, interestingly enough, a car that kind of everybody loves when they see one. Mm-hmm. It's not a car people run out to buy, but they're like, oh, yeah. those are cool. Yeah. So that was on my list too. Interesting. All right, so the top tier, they're going to be more expensive, but go find yourself the highest mileage first-generation Acura NSX you can find. Oh, Spruce that baby up. Okay. Yeah, it'll have high miles, but if you have a litany of things that you've done to it, it's running. It'll probably still run. Mm -hmm. Who cares about the mileage, especially if it's been taken care of? Mm. 
you do some things to it. You have the seats reupholstered. You put the interior back together. Take the nasty stereo out of that thing. You know remove, it's going to be terrible. Remove tape deck or whatever they or put in. After whatever it is. Yeah, you exactly, know it's going to yeah. be awful. Take that back out. Put something good <laughs> in. Try to find an original or just improve it dramatically. Get the stock wheels back on it. Get the paint mm-hmm. shiny again. Put the love back into it. And then if you have a list of here's all the things that are done to a car that you as a buyer in the future would be like, I can't do all those things. And it's already been done. Mm-hmm. See, people appreciate all the service and care that's been done to a car rather than all the parts you've screwed to it to try to make something else. Yeah. And you've screwed them to it and screwed it up. Sure. sure. That's People appreciate that far more because they have a good feeling. Well, that car's going to run. You don't have to worry about the miles because mm-hmm. I did the belts. I did the service. I've done whatever those cars yeah. need, whatever, you know, insert car that the, the thing that those cars need. Oh, that's been done. You did it. Oh, well, that changes my mind. Mm. I could pick one of those up. Now that is at the top level of expenditure first, mm-hmm. but then you'd have an accurate NSX you're tooling around in. Sweet. Maybe you could make money on that because they're starting to go the other way too. They're approaching 30, 35 years old at this point, And you Crazy. know, 40 is the turnaround. That could <laughs> right. be your, your ticket right there. That's good. Brad, I have a couple others for you. We already mentioned my wild card, but I was thinking along the lines of our cheap convertible, cheap sports car challenge because you brought it up and you said no usual suspects. And that made me think of a couple things. First off, what do you think of the Toyota MR2 Spider? I'm a really big fan of hmm. that car. That car you could get into for cheap. Now, that's not a make-money-on-it car, but it is an old Toyota mid-engine car. It is the, the, the little version. <laughs> Do not say the words engine swap. Do no. not say the no, words. No, no, because, yeah, because that's the thing. People take it and they put the Elise engine in mm-hmm. it because it has the, the 1JZ or the 1ZZ. Or, I'm sorry, I'm getting it's my engine two, codes two wrong. 2ZZ, right? The but uh, but then the Elise has the other one. So that's I'm getting it wrong off the top of my I head. Sorry, remember. but the point is they put the Elise engine in it and right. don't do that. Just take, take the stock engine, get one with the manual, not with their weird auto, shiftable auto thing that they did. Get the, get the manual. If you like that car at all, they are underappreciated as far as how good they drive. Also, you know what's super cheap and deserves to be driven and loved and taken care of? And that is the Pontiac Solstice or the Saturn Sky. Oh, interesting. We've seen a couple here in Southern California since we've been here. And they're just, they're great looking. Now, they were, they were GM doing the same thing that GM did with the Fiero, which is, let's make one generation of something that could be really cool, and the second generation could be awesome, and let's, let's never make that again. It's the same exact <laughs> approach. They didn't know right. those cars, which is too right. bad. So the Solstice and Sky, they are pinnacles for me of, I'd just like a cheap, unexpected convertible. One of those is the thing you buy. So look at both of those. And then I thought about, you know, there is one other oddball here, a little more expensive, but it is the atypical choice, which means you can get it for pretty affordable prices. But it's also really modern. The Fiat 124. Well, that's interesting. The Fiat. If the Miata is the obvious choice, the, the Fiat, the Fiat 124, yeah. is the other side of that coin. But it's all the modern running gear of the modern ND Miata with a different engine and a different look. If you want the oddball, how about that? Well, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, Brad, you've got some choices there. Please let us know what you get. And if you've got a car debate, Topic Tuesday or a car conclusion, write to us, TV at gmail.com. Lots of great questions. Thank you guys, as always, for writing in on all the social media platforms. We ask for questions 
on Mondays for our Tuesday podcast and on Thursdays for our Friday podcast. We love to hear from you there. If you have a car debate, remember that is where Everyday Driver TV at Gmail is your place. Or you can use the contact form on our website, Everyday Driver. They both go to the same place. We appreciate the topic Tuesdays and the actual car debates coming in that way. All the questions on social media are great. We really appreciate it. I'm going to start right here with Twitter. Freedom Van says, my question is, does working from home justify a less reliable daily driver? I'm really lusting after an old S-Class, but it would have to have more than 70,000 miles to fit my budget. And my answer to you, Freedom Van, is yes, you work from home. So it's not like I can't get into work today. That's true. So why not try something crazy? Now, the, 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 best, the best of both worlds are if you have some, some other car in your life, someone else in your life, and they have a car. So you're not stranded if the S-Class goes down. You're not, you're not like you have no car in your life. But if you're a person where you have a car you, you need to use occasionally, why not make that a car that works occasionally? Because then you can have a new fun experience. <laughs> I work in the office when my car works. <laughs> so that's my policy. Luckily, the office is across the house. I love that's it. That's awesome. Let's see. Oh, also on Twitter, Mr. McGillicuddy is saying, considering the lifelessness of most, if not all EVs, is it a bad thing that the most popular segment of five-seat CUVs is where the majority of them reside? Well, no. My concern is that we're just training the public to expect that. Mm -hmm. That we're not going to do anything else. Yeah, that that we're just training everybody to think like that. And the car companies are being trained by the buyers. Mm -hmm. And so we're just all like kind of training each other and modeling for each other that (laughs) this is just boring and that's okay. (laughs) Boring is fine. The water's not boiling. It's just you, frog. Exactly. Barajero has a client that wants a 2018 Maserati Gran Turismo. Run away. <laughs> <laughs> what are our initial thoughts on that car? Well, you could tell your client that Paul's buddy from 8th Term at Art Center, Jeremy Malik, designed it. You know, I don't think that's a selling point. Kind of cool. To, to, You'd be like, Jeremy client. who? I mean, they're interesting, but yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> but still. yeah. What other recommendations do we have for a, an approximately $70,000 sports coupe? He's trying to convince him to do some drive homework before making a decision. Well, I'm wondering if your client has fall, fallen in love with the exhaust note uh-huh. on that car because that is special. It sounds amazing, yeah. But as far as the car itself, there's other choices to be considered. I mean, it seems like buying a 2018 Gran Turismo is more like, oh, are you guys doing a YouTube film? Are you, are you <laughs> jumping it? Or like, Yikes. what are you doing with it? Not as a, this is my car and I spent 70,000 serious dollars on that thing. Because if you do, why, is it, why doesn't it have a Porsche badge on the hood? Well, you can do Porsche, but here's the thing. If you're wanting to go like GT, long lines, that kind of stuff, the, the Porsche might not work. But $70,000 for a used, big, nice GT car, you need to be looking at Aston Martin. Look at a Vantage. How about an okay. AMG GT? Sure. If, yeah, the if world's cheapest. If you can get one for that price, that is fantastic. That's You're at 70, add yeah. 20 grand, and go get yourself an AMG GT. Well, and I would take the AMG GT at 20 grand more than I would the Grand Turismo. That's yes, for, that's for indeed. Sure. Yes. But then there's also, you know, while you're at it, you could look at the Jaguar F Type. It's good too. That? Yeah, you know, if you if you are going to step up to close to 100 grand, then you can look at the LC 500 from Lexus. That's good. That's going to run forever. What yes, if you spent 20 grand more, found an LC 500 that you know is going to run. Whereas the Maserati is somewhat questionable. But here's the thing: if you are shopping Maserati, then any questionable reality of buying an old used Aston Martin shouldn't be a concern at all. Right. And a look. 
Corvette C8s are 70, 80, 90, $100,000, depending sure. on the trim level and which one you're looking for. Get a, C, a C7 Grand Sport for less than that. True. That would be a great one as well. There's a lot of good options there. You could even possibly shop an old, uh, like an 8 Series Coupe, few-year-old 8 Series Coupe from BMW. That's an interesting option I'd still as well be in more interested in that than the 2018 Grand Turismo. I mean, yeah. they're cool. They're cool. I like the new generation, actually. I will admit to liking yeah. it. It looks similar in proportion, but the lines are different. The sculpting is different. I really like it. And plus, since it's newer, I'm hoping that Maseratis from here on out will be more reliable, more interesting. And it's got the Natuno V6 from the MC20 there in it. There you go. Hello. All right. That's good. Bruce B. is saying that he's in San Diego today. He mentions that because we're in San Diego today when we're recording. He said, it's been raining. How do we handle weather challenges for filming, and what do we do when we have a vehicle for a limited amount of time? Now, we prefer to have great weather. We don't like to stand in the rain or the snow. The rain is far worse than the snow, but we shoot in all of the above. The truth is, sometimes you just have to go out and shoot. You have Mm -hmm. to get the shoot done, especially this happens with our test drives. If we have questionable weather, you've seen our test drives have been in the rain and the snow and whatever. You have to go out and get the shots, and that means somebody is standing outside with cold hands and drenched because you've got to get the shot. I really don't like that because the problem is, and this is going to sound weird, I dislike the in-car on bad weather days more than I dislike the outside of the car B-roll. Yeah. The outside of the car B-roll is harder to get because you're miserable. Okay? Yeah. You're standing in the rain, yeah. you're standing in the snow. But I don't mind that visual. The problem is it's the rain on the tin roof sound constantly through the interview. That actually really bugs me. It's like me. a snare drum. Seriously. I, I, just, I, I don't like the fact that we have that audio issue, but you know, some, some days there's just like we have the car now, we have the roads now, the weather's not great, here we go. CHA Spot says, with the big push for EVs, will new car buyers skip over hybrids? Or will the new plug-in hybrid vehicles still be relevant in the coming years? The second part, the plug-in hybrids will absolutely be relevant and more and more chosen. And I think that's the sweet spot. It is interesting because there starts to be a discussion now that people are talking about how much of the special metals and chemicals and everything that make a battery, how many more plug-in hybrids can be made for what it takes to make one electric vehicle. I feel like that Mm -hmm. part of the discussion is now starting to enter people's awareness. And I wonder how much that may affect people's thinking going forward. Because the other thing about a plug-in hybrid is that it still falls into that category I keep preaching about, and that is electrified vehicles. Yes, yes. It's still that thing by we're not selling any more cars that aren't electrified in one way or another. That is going to be going on. It, uh, and I will also admit, fully, fully admit, that when they first came out, I was like, what is this now? It's neither one by itself. It's not a full electric. It's not a normal hybrid. It's a hybrid that also runs a little bit. Were you thinking jack of all trades, master of none kind of thing? I kind of was worried about it. I was like, I don't understand what this is for. But, you know, all the way up to me buying one, I, you know, I really have come around and been like, okay, I start to see the use case. And now that Mm -hmm. I understand a little bit better about how the batteries are being dealt with, I start to think there's a lot of merit to it. But we'll see what the story is going forward. I mean, Geese One RBM, that's a little bit what your question is about the enthusiast community changing in the upcoming years as we move more into the autonomous ev world forget autonomous <laughs> set that aside sure. that'll be for cities for one square block or something that'll, yeah i don't know that that's going to be a thing too much uh, too too quickly here while it'll always be around in some form uh geese writes do we think there will be drastic changes over what we have now or what we've had in the past 
there's going to be a lot of changes, but there's still still going to be a market and space for what we have now. Mm. See how many manual transmissions are on the market right now. Everybody's freaked out because, well, the manual's gone away. No more manual transmissions. We have a glut of manuals on the market There's right now of, yeah. because of all the screaming, mm-hmm. because the manufacturers don't want to hear the screaming anymore. <laughs> that will that continue. That's good. Yeah. And if people keep buying those and showing manufacturers that this is what you want to buy as a sports car, I think that will continually teach manufacturers that a breadth and depth of their portfolio will make sense. They'll kind of adopt the BMW model, not all EVs strategy, mm-hmm. but... A, a variety of things across the spectrum to satisfy different markets, different needs. And I think that can still be successful. Alec on Facebook said, have either one of us, would we value practicality above all else in a daily if we had a second car? And Alec, mm. I think ultimately my takeaway is this. If, and you actually break it down. You said, what if you're driving this practical car 80% of the time and your fun car only 20% of the time? This comes back to the origin of the show. And I can't answer definitively because everybody has a different opinion of what they can tolerate. But what I absolutely don't want is any of you listening to have a car that feels like a torture chamber or a big sigh when you have to drive it every day. Mm -hmm. We want that everyday driver to be something you like being in. Now, that could be you're shopping something like a Phaeton, or it could be you're driving a Nissan Leaf, and either one of those people could be thrilled, okay? But ultimately, what I don't want you to do is buy a car that it checks the boxes to be a good commuter. And I don't really like it, but you know what? It made sense. You have to like it. If the only car you like is the one you drive occasionally, that's the wrong equation. And, and everybody's tolerance is different. I mean, I've said before, I couldn't love my Lotus Elise more, but I wouldn't commute on the 405 in it. But I have commuted on the 405 in lots of fun cars because that was the car that I owned. So you've got to have something you like especially if it's 80% of the driving. Yeah, speaking of origin of the show, Colin Cutler is touching on that with his question. What is worse, driving a spec sheet or basing your car opinions only by watching YouTube reviews? Mm. Well, you, mm, I'm, wow. I think okay. you probably know my answer there. You never drive the car in either scenario. But Colin thinks driving or looking at a spec sheet is worse than watching a review because he says at least with YouTube reviewers, you get many opinions on a car and mm-hmm. extrapolate your own based on that. Which, yeah, that's really what we wanted. The whole reason the two of us are different people on the same show is that exact thinking, Colin, for sure. But there's one more step past that, and that is forming your own opinion based on that, not just saying, okay, what you said is gospel. Then taking it the step to, you know what? I've narrowed my choices down. Okay, of all these you know, 10 cars, I've narrowed it down to three or four. And I'm going to go actually drive those. And you might find you wholeheartedly agree Mm. with the YouTube reviewers. Great. And form your own opinion. But you might not take somebody's opinion. You might not fully agree because you read the spec sheet over here. And, well, the more numbers told you that was better. Not necessarily. The drag race winner told you that that car was the one to buy. Not really. Nope. Yeah, Colin, I would add to that and say that the problem with the spec sheet idea is what you end up doing is spreadsheeting the car. Mm-hmm. You don't know anything about it. You just know that that number's better. Okay, okay. 
and it translates how. Also, he had a sub-question as well that I thought was really funny. He noticed that uh, my family's budget for Cayenne number two was 35 grand. We spent 37. <laughs> so he's asking, with a trademark logo beside it, what was my Paul limiter trademarked for our search? And awesome. The Paul limiter really Love was it. 40 grand. That was really what I was shopping to not break 40 grand because that was what made sense for our numbers. So I had a little bit of wiggle room and it worked out and we're glad it did. Grady C. Our friend Grady is asking if roadside assistance packages are worth it. I think generally speaking, I mean, that's the peace of mind that uh, I, I personally, I think AAA is the best because wherever you are in the U.S., you know you can count on that, and they're a huge organization. There's other roadside assistance programs that various car manufacturers offer with their yeah, cars yeah. in addition to some others, but I do say yes. I've used them before, and I think, man, what if I hadn't paid my bill? What if I had sure, to add yeah. this? Because it's less about with modern cars – Will it run? Will it start and run? Modern cars, even 20, 25 years old, are yeah. pretty much going to start and run. It's more about all that stuff, like you know the experience you detailed in your recent Cayenne video. Yeah. You're driving a, practically a brand new modern Porsche, mm-hmm. and you still had an issue with a tire. Man versus pothole. Pothole <laughs> one, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it's, it's less about the car itself and more about the elements that will never change. Weather, potholes, mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah, the car is going to be fine. It's whatever else is in your environment. Dumb Electrician is asking me, am I writing a follow-up to my novel, Paper Father? What books have I read recently, etc.? I could go way into the weeds. I won't on this. I will say this. I am not writing a sequel to Paper Father, though I am kind of slowly behind the scenes planning one out. I am working on the audiobook version that I hope to have out later this year. And as far as books I've read recently, we don't have that kind of time. Anthony Z says, small car only parking spaces are suggestions, right? <laughs> That can be overridden by superior parking skills. <laughs> no. That and a whole bunch of cameras around your car. Yeah, that's true. All the cameras. Jim Yu says, what car advertisements have been spit-take-inducing? Like <laughs> Aunt Anstead's, it sounds epic as well in the Mazda CX-90 commercial. Yeah, you, you know, paid enough dollars, you'll say anything about anything, right? Sure, Cars aside. But uh, hey, I'm now accepting checks. Anyway. It was always that Fiat Abarth 500 commercial with the guy admiring it. Uh-huh. And it was the Italian it girl. Was the Italian she girl. was so yeah. hot. <laughs> That's been <laughs> taken for a different reason, but I take your point. Agreed. Guys, thank you for all your questions. You know where to write us. You know where to get a hold of us. And we really enjoy hearing from you and debating your... your uh, your car debates here. Everything that you talk about in cars, we love all the stuff we get. Many of you send us videos and that kind of thing. By the way, we were buried the other day when John Cena said in an interview that his daily driver was a Honda Civic Type R. Mm-hmm. He explained why. I think we got that from six different sources. They were like, have you guys awesome. seen this? thought it was hysterical. It's Very awesome. Good. We're looking forward to next time. As always, cheers, everyone.